Welcome back to Christian's Colloquy. I'm Christian, and I'm so glad that you could join me this week. Today, I am fresh out of a class on the Lord's Supper. For those who don't know, this past semester, I've been taking a course on the sacraments, what many of us in Baptist circles will call the ordinances. And this class has been quite interesting. I've been taking this at my current school, which is Anglican. And in this class, we are reading, examining, discussing, critiquing uh, resources on the sacraments, on baptism, the Lord's Supper, and some other things from various perspectives. We've read Anglican sources, of course, but also Lutheran sources, Presbyterian sources, Eastern Orthodox sources, Roman Catholic sources, and Baptist sources, which has been quite interesting. And what makes it interesting, we're reading one of the main books for the course is a Baptist book, uh, Promise and Presence uh, by John Caldwell, but he's a British Baptist who holds to a view of seven sacraments. So basically, while Baptists have traditionally, and I believe rightly, I'm quite firm on that, that there are two sacraments, two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, he's a contemporary Baptist theologian now arguing, hey, we should hold the seven sacraments that were established uh, in the medieval church. And he, of course, has a pretty interesting case for that. He has a lot of great insight into church life and Baptist theology. But of course, I have some pretty strong disagreements with him. He is not convincing me, uh, but uh, it's still a healthy exercise to read and learn what he has thought through. And I'm being pressed in some ways to think more deeply, but I'm also seeing places where I go, hey, yeah, I'm grateful for how Baptists have thought about this in the past and I am uh, committed to this tradition because I believe it is what the Word of God teaches. Anyway, this class has been a great pleasure because despite me having pretty firm Baptistic convictions, it is helpful to hear what other Christians from other positions have to say on various topics. In some places, they challenge me to think further. Why do I hold this? Uh, Is this consistent with the Word of God? And other places, they challenge me to think, hey, I know my view is consistent with the Word of God, but how do I better articulate it, defend it, so that I can enter into this conversation with others and be more winsome or be able to offer more up to the conversation? So, That's all a long way of saying I think it is great when Christians engage with other Christians from different traditions to hear what they're saying, to hear what they're teaching, so that we might better understand our own views and appreciate our own views. So, what am I doing today? Well, today, based on that class, I want to briefly introduce a hymn from Charles Wesley on the Lord's Supper. And before I do that, I want to just mention how the Lord's Supper is a pretty controversial topic in Christian circles. You'll have many different positions on it from many different aspects on it. So in particular in class today, and what this hymn gets at is there's the question of presence in the Lord's Supper. If you're an evangelical, especially an evangelical Baptist, you might be familiar with memorialism. That's the belief that Christ is not present at all in the Lord's Supper, that merely, and I say this in a more academic sense, not a critiquing sense, that Christ is not present at all in the Lord's Supper, but it's merely a memory. When we take the bread and when we take typically the grape juice, Christ isn't being communicated to us. Rather, we are remembering, purely remembering what Christ has done. Uh, And that is a memory that leads to proclamation. Hey, we're taking this and we're declaring Christ has died. He has shed his blood, broken his body on behalf of his people. That's something we're believing, something we're thankful for, and something we're celebrating. That's how a lot of evangelicals today will think about the Lord's Supper. But as you might be familiar with, way on the other hand, 
end, uh, you'll have Roman Catholics quite popularly and famously holding to transubstantiation. You'll have Lutherans with their view of sacramental union. And of course, you'll have Eastern Orthodox with their own views where they say, hey, no, Christ is really and physically present in the Lord's Supper. And of course, there's a lot of distinctions and beliefs. I'm keeping this very straightforward. There's a lot of theology and philosophy, but essentially, in this very bare bones overview, they believe that when you're eating the bread and taking the wine, you are truly physically really eating the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that it is truly and really his physical flesh on offer in the Lord's Supper. And that's, of course, a big debate, big conversation, and it gets into Aristotle and his understandings of substance and accidents, how Thomas Aquinas spoke of it. But that's all to say that on one end, there's memorialism. Christ is not present at all. And then on the other hand, there are traditions and views like transubstantiation in the Roman Catholic Church, where they are eating the true body and blood of Christ, the real body physical body and blood of Jesus Christ. At least that's what they believe. But today in the middle, and this is where a view that I think is often neglected or forgotten or misunderstood, there is the reformed view of spiritual presence. And that's going to be what is presented in this Wesley hymn. This is what Baptists traditionally in the 17th and 18th century were holding to. This is what Anglicans, many Anglicans were holding to. This is what many, of course, Reformed Presbyterians, Dutch Reformed, still largely hold to. This is what's in the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. This is what's in the, the Heidelberg Catechism. This is what's in the Westminster Standards, the 39 Articles. It's this Reformed view, the spiritual presence. What does that mean briefly before we get into the hymn? Essentially, when we eat the, the bread and when we take the cup, whether it's wine or grape juice, we are not physically eating the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Christ is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That is where his body is located. And of course, as we talked about in class today quite lively, there's a lot of language, a lot of theological and philosophical language I'm skipping over, but very bare bones. Christ is not physically eaten in the Lord's Supper. Rather, the bread and the wine are taken as signs, memorial, think along those lines, but through that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, believers by faith are truly nourished by the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. So it's spiritual eating, spiritual presence, and this is done in the Lord's Supper where the bread and the wine, they don't transform, they don't transubstantiate into the actual body and blood of Christ, but by the Spirit, when received by faith, through these signs, bread and wine, believers are nourished by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. There's a presence there, but it's not physical, it's not corporeal bodily, it is spiritual. So anyway, that's all a long introduction of those three different views, memorialism on one hand, physical presence on the other hand, and in the middle, spiritual presence. We'll now dive into Charles Wesley's hymn, which presents through the hymn a reformed spiritual presence. Wesley, while remembered as a Methodist leader, at the end of the day was an Anglican, and he held to the position in the 39 articles. And of course, there is some debate on this, but it is the reform view, the view that we typically would call the Calvinist view of the Lord's Supper, held once popularly by Baptists, Presbyterians, Anglicans, and many others. So here's the hymn. The hymn is entitled, Oh, the Depth of Love Divine. And I will read it for you now, the four stanzas. 
Oh, the depth of love divine, the unfathomable grace. Who shall say how bread and wine God into us conveys? How the bread his flesh imparts, how the wine transmits his blood, fills his faithful people's hearts with all the life of God. Let the wisest mortal show how we the grace receive. Feeble elements bestow a power not theirs to give. Who explains the wondrous way how through the, uh, the virtue came? These the virtue did convey, yet still remain the same. How can spirits heavenward rise by earthly man matter fed? Drink herein with divine supplies and eat immortal bread. Ask the Father's wisdom how Christ who did or the means ordain. Angels round our altars bow to search it out in vain. Sure and real is the grace unknown, the manner be unknown. Only meet us in thy ways and perfect us in one. Let us taste the heavenly powers. Lord, we ask for nothing more. Thine to bless, tis only ours to wonder and adore. So here, and this is a general point about evangelical hymnody as it once was, and the reason why I love evangelical hymnody, in this beautiful beautiful hymn, beautiful poem, I, I think we can agree with that, whether the content is uh, confusing to us or whether the content is just unthinkable to us, it is beautifully composed. But more importantly, it, it all, it's also packed with all sorts of doctrine. This is a teaching hymn. This is a hymn that people would sing and come away with doctrinal convictions. And that's a big reason why I love evangelical hymnody. But let's break it down. What is Wesley actually saying here? And what points of reformed spiritual presence uh, view of the Lord's Supper can we identify? So on screen right now, if you're watching on YouTube, let's just look at a key point from uh, each of the stanzas. Looking at the first stanza, we see here uh, a critical point, and this is probably the point that most evangelicals today would get tripped up on. How the bread his flesh imparts, how the wine transmits his blood. Here Wesley is communicating the classic Reformed understanding that through the Lord's Supper, we are actually nourished by the true flesh, the true body, and the true blood of Jesus Christ. We are actually receiving true benefit by the risen body of Jesus Christ. It is being communicated to us. So that is the presence. Christ, flesh, and his blood is truly nourishing us through the Lord's Supper. So that might be, whoa, what's going on here? This unfathomable grace. How, how can we say that? What does that mean? So if we look now at the second stanza, we see here, this is where Wesley expresses the other half of that spiritual presence. We're talking about presence in the last one, but what makes it spiritual? What distinguishes it from perhaps the Roman Catholic or Lutheran views? And if you look at the end of the second stanza, you say, these the virtues did convey. So there's actual grace, there's actual nourishment, the flesh and true body of Christ are uh, the flesh and blood of Christ are truly being conveyed, that's a virtue, yet still remain the same. So the bread and the cup, the wine or the grape juice, they are means of nourishment, means of grace, but they themselves do not change. When you bite down on the bread, you're not biting down on Christ's flesh in any sense. When you drink the cup, you're not drinking his blood in any sense apart from the spiritual. They remain the same. The bread does not become the body, but spiritually, it conveys the body. 
And of course, Wesley in the third stanza gets into what, how do we speak of this? Well, this is pretty complex, but what is, how do we, how do we understand this? And this gets into what we covered in the Ann Dutton episode. Again, uh, link to that in the description down below. She gets into that in her famous Baptist work. Again, Ann Dutton was an evangelical Baptist of the 18th century, but he expresses how how can spirits heavenward rise by earthly manner fed? And this is the traditional reformed evangelical way, again, evangelical way of speaking of the Lord's Supper. It's not Christ's body descending to us, but rather by the spirit working through the means ordained by Christ, believers through the Lord's Supper ascend to a heavenly feast. And that's the communion we have with one another and with Christ. Through the spirit, believers who partake by faith ascend uh, through the Lord's Supper to a heavenly feast. And this is a wonderful, a powerful foreshadowing of the heavenly feast to come, the banquet we read about in Revelation at the end of all things when we have that perfect communion with God and through Jesus Christ, through the Spirit, when we're having that feast, that heavenly banquet described in Revelation that describes the eschaton, the end of all. And this is uh, a foreshadowing the Lord's Supper. When we think about the Lord's Supper, the presence, remember the Spirit is at work. This is not something purely human. The Holy Spirit, who is present with believers, we like talking about the Holy Spirit, but here Wesley, as evangelicals and Reformed have traditionally done, brings the Holy Spirit's role into the context of the Lord's Supper. By the Spirit, when received by faith, Spirit's heavenward rise. Finally, the last point. And this is uh, the key point here. We talked about how there's only physical eating of bread and drinking of wine. They are not transformed in any mystical or philosophical way like held in the Roman Catholic Church with transubstantiation. But there is a true nourishment going on through these earthly matters, earthly means. We are truly nourished by God, uh, Christ's risen uh, body and blood. So what does Wesley say here? Sure and real is the grace. So we're actually being nourished, but the manner be unknown. And that's a key thing here. At the end of the day, the Lord's Supper, how this all fits together, there is an element of mystery. And that's where I would direct you to, if you're wondering, wow, this is totally foreign to Baptist history, if that's what you're thinking, this isn't Baptist at all. If you look at the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, which is this titan of a document in Baptist history, just so primary to Baptist history and thought. It is, uh, many churches still hold it today. If you go look at that section in the London Baptist Confession of Faith, it identifies ministers, those who administer the Lord's Supper with 1 Corinthians 4.1. And I'll read that out now in the ESV. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So the London Baptist Confession, the second London Baptist Confession, speaks of the Lord's Supper as one of those mysteries of God. There is a mysterious element. We don't quite understand how the Spirit is working here, but this is how Baptists traditionally, how evangelicals traditionally have thought of the Lord's Supper. So anyway, I thought I would present you that hymn just to get you thinking more about the Lord's Supper. It is such a wonderful thing that is often neglected. But I want to clarify a couple things in closing. First of all, why I shared this hymn. This hymn I shared because I thought it might be interesting to you to hear how evangelicals 
have traditionally thought about the Lord's Supper. I know I have a lot of listeners who come from non-evangelical traditions who often say that the evangelicals have a very low or poorly thought out uh, view of the Lord's Supper, but hopefully this helps you realize that even in evangelical hymnody, you are getting this fleshed out understanding of the Lord's Supper that goes back to the Reformed uh, the Reformed Confessions of Faith, the Reformation tradition that we often associate with John Calvin, Thomas, Cr- Thomas Cramner, and other figures of Reformed history. So there's a connection with church history, thought out language, and beautifully put the hymn. I think this is where evangelicals just are, are, so, are so dominant, frankly, how we express our hymnody historically and our doctrines through hymnody. But the second reason why I share this is not to just convince you, hey, this is the view you need to hold. I am very, very, very much about learning and growing theologically in the context of your local church. So what am I suggesting for you now? I believe the Lord's Supper is important. I'm expecting that you, whether it feels like it or not, you believe the Lord's Supper is important. I would encourage you now as an evangelical, as a Baptist, whoever you are, dive into the Lord's Supper. Think about it some more. I will leave in the description down below some resources I recommend on the Lord's Supper. I have my episode on Ann Dutton and her work on the Lord's Supper, but there are some other ones I believe evangelicals would do well to consider. And I ask you to read these, not to just be convinced by them or to read them uncritically or just read them and believe them because you heard it from Christian on Christian's Colloquy, but maybe take a look at these resources and ask some questions. Ask some questions of your elders, of your church leaders. Why does your church practice what it's practiced? Why does your church hold what it holds? And listen to them. They are the elders that God has placed in your life. I believe they have true responsibilities to lead you and shepherd you. I hope you do as well. But these are the questions I would encourage you to bring to your evangelical churches. At the end of the day, whether you're convinced or not, whether you move from memorialism to a traditional reformed and evangelical view of the spiritual presence, I hope that this kind of conversation would better help you understand what the Lord's Supper is, and why it should be important to your church, why your church should treat it with reverence, why it should be done regularly, and why it should be an important part of your church life, your Christian life, as you think about it on a day-to-day basis. Why the Lord's Supper isn't just an add-on at the end of a service once a month. Why it is something Christians should long for, should cherish, and look forward to celebrating with their brothers and sisters in the gathering of the church. I know many of us, especially in Canada, who have missed the Lord's Supper for so long. Hopefully, you will do this kind of study, think about these kind of things so that when you can take it again, you will understand why it is so amazing to gather together as the body and partake in the Lord's Supper. Anyway, this has been a lot. I hope the hymn was at least interesting to you. I hope that it sparks further thought and study, and I hope that you will join me again here on Christian's Colloquy next time. Take care.